Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Travis Kelsey was standing next to Patrick Mahomes. Um, um, alongside their head coach, Andy Reid, serenading thousands of fans on stage outside Union Station in Kansas City, Missouri, um, before shots rang out. Head coach Andy Reid, who has come alongside um, any number of um, young men over the years, found himself yesterday holding on to a teenager who was pleading with his friend. Just please breathe. Maybe you're holding your breath this morning. Many in Kansas City are holding their breath this morning. They want answers. They want justice. They want mercy for the 21 people who are injured. We want to know how to speak peace in a world at war where hate rages for seemingly no reason at all. And so if you're listening this morning at... um, on our Kansas City affiliate, our hearts go out to you. I want to invite you to be praying for our um, our music station in Kansas City, Life 88.5, and their leadership team, Dave Gordon, my friend, as they will come alongside the KKFI staff, um, which is a music station in Kansas City, Lisa Lopez Galvin, one of their DJs, mother of two, was killed. Fifteen of the victims are suffering from what are still considered life-threatening injuries. Lots of kids um, involved. They are at Children's Mercy Hospital. I'm going to be praying this morning. People um, gathered together to celebrate, and it turned into a raging nightmare. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And I was going to say, happy Valentine's Day. And you were going to say, wait, what? Did she miss that? That was yesterday. And I was going to say, no, happy Valentine's Day again today. The love of God is new every morning. Every day is a good day to say God loves you because God says over you, you are mine. But somehow... Reminding us um, of all the the joy and even nonsense of yesterday requires taking a deep breath and lifting up prayers and saying in a totally different way, God's mercies are new every morning. God loves you with an everlasting love and his mercies are new every morning, including today. I can literally say good morning to you even on a morning when people are mourning. Because it's God's morning, and God is good, and His mercies are new today. 
Our Growing Your Faith verse this morning comes from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. If you say to yourself, um, that doesn't sound exactly like it sounds in Lamentations 2, 22 and 23, that's because my singing heart takes over when I read this verse of scripture and I just want to sing it um, because that's how I learned it. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. In case you think that's the only place where the Bible talks about God's love and describes it in this way, well, check this out from Exodus 34, verse 6. God says, um, I'm compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. Do you think about that? God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and overflowing with loyal love. You need God's loyal love today. His mercy's new every morning. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, one of our lessons yesterday, a little assignment was to read and reflect on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, yeah, the Apostle Paul is not pulling those ideas from 1 Corinthians 13 out of thin air. He is chronicling how the people of God have experienced the love of God over eons of time. He's reflecting Exodus 34, 6. He's reflecting Lamentations 3. When Paul says God is patient and kind and God is jealous for us, but God's not envious in the way that we think about envy, when Paul says God's not uh, parading the affection of his love around like a trophy, you're not a trophy wife. When Paul says that God's love is not boastful or proud, but honoring, honoring of the one upon whom his affection falls and never dishonoring anyone else, even as he loves you. When Paul says God doesn't love out of some self-seeking need and he doesn't accuse or strike out in irrational anger, um, even when we break his heart, Paul's not just making that up. He's saying this is who God is. This is who God has revealed himself to be. This is his character. These are his ways. When Paul says God's love keeps no record of wrongs, <laughs> when you ask, he forgives the grievance, the sin. It's because Paul knows God to be a God who doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Remember, Paul was standing there holding the cloaks while Stephen was stoned. Paul knows the radical, forgiving, mercy new every morning nature of God. So, <clears throat> the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. It never runs out. It never runs away. God's love is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. His love is everlasting. His mercies never come to an end. Mercy. Do we need mercy this morning? Yes and amen. Where in your own life do you need the new and renewing mercies of God today? Where in your life do you need the new and renewing mercies of God today? Let us speak God's mercy over the people of Kansas City and every single person affected, again, by this senseless mass shooting. Let us claim God's mercy upon these little ones who are in the hospital. Let us claim God's mercy upon listeners this morning who are tuning in to, you know, the radio station of their choice, um, learning that one of their 
favorite on-air voices is now silent. And this is one of those days when I want to say really clearly, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, um, I don't know what the rest of the day holds, but I do know who holds me in the rest of the day, and I want him to hold you as well. Today could be the day of salvation for you. If you have never given your life, all that you understand of who you are and your sin and your brokenness and your need for mercy new every morning, if you've never given all of that to the God who has thrown his arms wide open and then nailed them to the cross, if you've, if you've never run into the everlasting arms of the Father, I just want to invite you to do that today. Come like a little child. Come with as little as you understand of him, um, and as much of yourself as you understand, and just just fall into his everlasting arms. His mercies are new for you today. His love is everlasting. Um, and I don't know what today holds, but I want you to be beheld by God in the midst of all of it. So come to him. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We are connecting faith to life. Where in the Word are you today? I'm spending a little time in Psalm 2. I'm preparing for some conversations later today with some fellow Christians and pastors and Christian leaders on the topic of division and polarization and uh, in our country and in our conversations and our families and talking about um, how we might be agents of grace and ambassadors of the King and the Kingdom in the midst of all of that. And that has uh, had me spending some time in passages of Scripture that are, you know, related to the intersection of the Christian faith and the political realities of our day. And so I've been spending some time in Psalm 2. Where in the word are you today? Uh, Psalm 2. Why are the nations restless? Another another um, translation says, why do the nations rage? Why are the people plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's tear down, um, let's tear them down, let's throw their ropes away from us. But the God who sits in heaven, he laughs. I mean, the Lord, he scoffs at them. He's going to speak to them, and he's going to speak to them in his anger. I don't, I don't, by the way, this is an aside. I don't really ever want to hear God's angry voice. I just don't. Okay, so <clears throat> back to verse five of Psalm two. He will speak to them in his anger and he will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce this decree of the Lord. This is the psalmist speaking. He says to me, You are my son. Today I have fathered you. Ask it of me, and I will certainly give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now then, you kings, use insight. Again, the psalmist speaking here to his contemporaries, David speaking to the other kings of the earth. Then you, you kings, use insight. Let yourselves be instructed. You are currently the judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. He is not angry. Um, Let him not be angry, 
that you would perish on the way, for his wrath, it can be kindled quickly. But how blessed are all of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Just at the very beginning of this conversation in Psalm 2, um, David is noting that the nations rage against God. They plot in vain against God. Why, why is that? Um, when, you, when you think about um, what sets the world on edge, what sets people against one another, um, the, the plotting that takes place among the kings of the earth, the conspiring um, is one word that's used here to express that. Um, there is language here of throwing off the reign and the rule of God, throwing off the yoke of, um, of God, throwing off um, the way that God would govern the human heart and thereby um, human, you know, human nations. The reference to nations here is important. Um, like nations are real. Nation states are real. Nations have a spirit. They have, um, they have a way of operating. And in this case, the nations are described as raging. So let me ask this morning, <clears throat> do you live in a nation of rage? Do you live in a state of rage? Do you personally live in a state of rage? Why do you rage? And what enrages you? The next time somebody flies into a rage, I want you to pause and pray, but not for them. Um, so we, as Christians, in the context of the days in which we live, I think we need to invite God to govern us, to govern our thoughts, to govern our lips, to govern our thoughts. And so when someone else flies into a rage, when the nations rage, when your nation rages, particularly in ways that are obviously against the Lord, I want you to recognize who you are, your identity, not only as a child of God, but as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom, and pray that you would be governed by the peace of Christ. Ask that you would be found faithful as an ambassador of the king and, the, and his kingdom in the midst of issues that ultimately <clears throat> are bound and confined to the kingdom of this world. Pray that you would represent Christ, the Prince of Peace, well, that he would rule in your heart and hold every thought captive in your mind. What is behind and beneath all that anger? Why do the nations rage? It's irrational, but it's real. And in um, Psalm 2, we recognize um, that God is righteously angry, but people often um, pervert what is righteous anger into unrighteous acts. And so my other thought on this today is, you know, as we're sort of assessing our own anger management <clears throat> and why we fly off the handle and why we are easily angered when God is not easily angered, um, I think we ought to check ourselves. Every time we fly into a rage, well, I guess I'm hoping we 
can pause before we fly into a rage. Every time we get angry, every time we're mad, hot under the collar, hot and bothered, what if we were to check ourselves and see that what is upsetting us is actually something that God hates? And why do I say that? Well, we have some instruction from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's one thing to be righteously angry. It's another thing to act in ways that are unrighteous. Anger gives the devil opportunity. Um, I don't want to give the devil any opportunity. And I think that anger is possibly the emotion most prone to sinful abuse which is maybe why Paul in that same passage from um, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us in verse 31 to put it away, put that anger away. Because even anger that begins with righteous indignation can be expressed in ways that are ungodly. So if anger leads to sin, if your anger leads to sin, if anger is taking root and becoming malignant, malice in your life, If instead of longing to see an offender repent, we want their destruction, when that happens, we have allowed anger to give root to bitterness. And that, Hebrews 12, 15 says, destroys us. And that's where I just want to note, that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. And that, (laughs) I know with all confidence, is not the way of Jesus. Well, I don't want to make you angry, so we'll pivot from this to a conversation about uh, a, a, a new risen joy. The uh, spire of the cathedral at Notre Dame was revealed yesterday, including the golden rooster at the very top. What's that all about? What's at the very top of the steeple of your church? Does your church even have a steeple anymore? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night, download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, the scaffolding came down yesterday. Uh, Notre Dame's new spire was unveiled after a devastating fire in 2019. Um, Do you remember that? This is one of those things where um, I think if you saw it in real time and you sort of watched it burn, um, something happened in your heart, right? So we have this uh, fire in April of 2019, and we literally watched... Notre Dame burn. And if you watched long, at some point, 
You watched the soaring spire crowned with a cross and a golden rooster um, crumble and fall. Well, Notre Dame is expected to reopen on December the 8th for the first time since April of 2019. And um, it has been rebuilt. It, uh, it, it is it's stunning in its uh, architecture, and it's been restored um, in, in ways that are just really quite remarkable. Um, and so what, what has been this um, scar on the Parisian skyline and then scaffolding for now a number of years um, is now like literally returning to its former glory. Um, 800 years is, uh, is the length of time that, um, that the, uh, that the spire has, you know, spoken peace over the city of Paris. The original spire was built in about 1250, 1250. Just think about that. And it was used as a bell tower in the 1600s. Um, it risked collapsing from decay in the 1700s. And so they took it down. And then in the mid 19th century, an architect designed a new spire. And that new spire stood until the fire um, that took place in April of 2019. And one of the things that was thought to have been lost was not only the uh, the golden rooster um, who sat atop the the spire for hundreds of years, um, but what was inside the rooster. And first of all, you may say to yourself, why why is there a golden rooster at the very top? Well. Um, one answer to that question, the answer to the question that you're going to see in the secular press is, well, the rooster is the national symbol of France. That's, that's what you're going to see. But I want you to know more about why there's a rooster up there than that. When I, um, say to yourself that a rooster crowed three times, where does your mind go? Where does your heart go? And why might a crowing rooster be placed atop a cathedral spire? As a reminder of what? So the rooster is up there so that people will remember their sin. The rooster is up there to remind us of the way Peter, one of the 12 apostles, denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Um, it's an event that is depicted, obviously, in lots of works of art, and it was a way of setting not only a weather vane, atop the cathedral originally, um, so that at a lightning strike, there would, um, you know, that that's one of the reasons there's a spire, right, to, to, to collect that. It's just, there's so many um, uh, protective notes. But I think that there are folks who are like, you know, there should be a cross up there. There shouldn't be a rooster. Well, there is a cross and there is a rooster. And do you know what's inside? <laughs> that rooster atop the cathedral at Notre Dame contains three relics. There's a small piece of the crown of thorns. There's a relic of St. Denis, and there is a relic of um, St. Uh, Genevieve. And I guess that is the, the patron saint of Paris. And you say to yourself, I don't believe in all that. I don't believe in all that, that, uh, that relic nonsense. Okay, well, that's okay. Um, here's something extraordinary to note. That fire that consumed everything did not consume those three very fragile, very small, very old relics that were inside that rooster. 
I find that pretty extraordinary. So um, after the fire, they thought that uh, after the spire collapsed and everybody had watched the rooster up, you know, go up in flames, everybody thought it was lost. But they took um, they took a long, painstaking time to clear the debris, and it really is extraordinary the number of things that were preserved. And the rooster was discovered. Yes burned, yes, mangled, yes, partially like melted and folded in on himself. But guess what? Fully protecting those three tiny little pieces that had been in his belly all those years. And so those three pieces, uh, a small piece of the crown of thorns, a relic of St. Dennis and a relic of St. Genevieve, they have now been uh, placed inside the new rooster that sits atop um, the the spire of the Notre Dame Cathedral. And so, um, yes, there's a rooster up there. I wonder what kind of a sign or a symbol of warning and hope it might provide to generations of Parisians yet to come. Maybe that'll give you a walking and talking point today as you get out there into the world that God so loves. You could ask people, what's, what's at the top of the steeple of your church? Does your church even have a steeple? Why in the world would there be a rooster up there? Are there roosters in the Bible? Now, you know, I got a boy that raises chickens, so this is one of those, uh, one of those stories that resonates on the farm uh, where I live. There's all kinds of ways that God um, uses the things of our day to find resonance with us, to strike a chord in our hearts and minds. And right now for the people of Paris, there's a new spire. And on top of that spire, a cross and a chicken. Well, a rooster. You got some business with God you need to do before the rooster crows again? Well, his mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. Hmm. Our friend um, Alfonso Espinoza is going to join us next. We're going to continue the conversation we're having with him about faith and culture. We've talked on a prior occasion about faith that actually sees through the culture. And today we're going to talk about faith that engages the culture. When you think of cultural engagement, which one of these Im- images resonates most with you? Do you, um, do you view culture engagement or engagement with the culture like a war? Are you at war with culture? Are you a culture warrior? Um, maybe you're just, you know, you just think culture is like a, a, like a river and you're just kind of in there and along for the ride. Or maybe you're, you know, you've put your feet down in the firm foundation and you're, you're trying to live against the tide of the, of the culture of the day. I got another image for you. How about a cultivator of culture? God set us in a garden. That's a culture. And he set us there to be people who till it. So how are you tilling the cultural soil of the day and the conversations that you are having? Yes, with God, but also with others. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Alfonso Espinoza is back today. Uh, Dr. Um, Espinoza is a pastor. He is a theologian. He is a regular, everyday, walking around in the world Christian. And he is the author of three books that, taken together, really do equip us to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways 
that honor Jesus. We're going to talk about the second of those three books today. Um, But just to remind you, we have talked on a prior occasion about faith that sees through the culture. Today, we'll focus on faith that engages the culture. And then in the future, um, we'll have um, Alfonso back to talk about faith that shines in the culture. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It's so great to be back, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so thank you so much. Faith that engages the culture. It's one thing to be a Jesus person personally. It's another thing to recognize the Great Commission, um, that command to go and make disciples of others. Like, I know I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with my non-believing neighbors, but I don't know how to do that. So take us into the question uh, that com- that was really the compelling um, energy behind this particular book. Yeah, we struggle to know how to share the gospel. You know, we hear that word evangelism and we kind of freak out. It's like, oh no, you know, I have to uh, sell the word of God or something. I have to sell Jesus. And how do I get that script down? You know, how how do I learn that uh, silver, silver bullet outline, so to speak? And there's so much um, pressure that I think is unnecessarily cast on Christians nowadays, Carmen. We get the impression that if we aren't especially learned or or have that right package or um, toolbox that, you know, we'll, we'll never be an effective evangelist, especially if we evangelists, especially if we struggle to memorize scripture or, you know, uh, analogies and illustrations. And again, um, struggle to, to find that right script. So uh, you, you really see in, in the title of this book, kind of where I'm coming from by using the word engages because that word uh, means uh, to me that we we want to invest in a back and forth with a human being that Jesus died for, someone we get to know uh, who's utterly unique. And, uh, you know, take the pressure off of you for crying out loud about, you know, a a pre-scripted approach, but instead love the person, uh, specialize in listening to them. And then just uh, consider a very, very basic approach that I'm offering this book, offering in this book regarding sharing Jesus Christ. Um, And that comes in the engagement triangle that I present in this book. So first of all, I appreciate that you're sort of letting me off the hook in terms of having to have some sort of memorized script. It's not three points in a poem. It's not these six verses of scripture said in order, you know, with the right tone of voice on the right day at the right time. This is about, <laughs> um, this is about a real relationship with a person over time. And I have to remember how, how I got here, who I was before I met yes. Jesus, how I came yeah. to know him, the conversations yeah. that resulted in my, um, curiosity, my asking questions, the way the way in which, in this case, Kathy Connor, you know, hung in there with me, right? And wow. and wow. walked walked with me and helped me to engage with this person who she knew who I did not yeah. know. Um and that wow. would be Jesus. And so Amen. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate that um this is not about well, it's not about me standing on a street corner, engaging perfect strangers and expecting them to drop to their knees and, and in a moment make a confession of, of faith. And then they carry on with their lives and I carry on with mine. Like that's, yeah. that's, yeah. And yeah. so I do think that this engagement conversation is really important. And when you use the word engagement, 
you know, maybe in the culture, the thing that we think about is that period of time between which a couple determines to marry one another and the time that they're actually married. Um, and there's a yeah. lot that goes on. And I guess I hope that um, they they come to know one another more and more and more. Um, so you and I, as Christians out there in the culture, we are um, we are living with, we are working with, we are neighboring alongside of. We're certainly walking in the paths of life with people who do not share our faith in Jesus. And so the first question is, do we love them enough? Do we care about them enough um, to introduce them? to the person who has changed our lives. Jesus changes the yeah. world, absolutely, but he changes individual lives. So talk with us about the engagement triangle, because that's going to get us, um, that's going to get us eventually to this one-on-one reality. Yeah, I, I, I will. And I, I just wanted to kind of piggyback the last part of what you said about loving the person. That, that That's the other thing we have to understand about uh, proper evangelization and engagement. Uh, not only is is it not a an outline in a script that we have to memorize, but it, it is also not uh, checking the box to be a good Christian. It, mm. It's not a, it's not serving me and my conscience that I'm being a proper disciple so I can feel better about my holiness. Uh, it, it's not that requirement that if I'm a really, really true believer, then I'm, I'm getting it done by opening my mouth for the gospel. No, 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 no. Uh, we, we are immersed in the fact that we are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we take to heart 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. He has showered upon us grace upon grace. We are in the kingdom. We know the Lord Jesus Christ. We are filled with his joy. And now it's not about a got to proposition. It's about I get to. I get to love other people for, for whom Jesus died. And I know that I'm not worthy. I know I'm not deserving. And that means uh, I'm all the more motivated to share this gospel and getting to know people. So that's the other part of, of kind of going forward in engagement. But to answer your question about the engagement triangle, I was just thinking, okay, you know, it, it would help to have a little bit of a guide for, for people kind of in principle, just to kind of help Christians stay on track without, again, a big binder of how-tos. And, and this very simple thing I backed up, I looked at Scripture, and, and I just poured over Scripture. How does God's Word present this natural engagement. And, and so I, I, uh, I, I asked that question, and what I came up with from what I see in, in God's Word um, are what I summarize as three Ps. There is, there, is a, there is a Christian perspective, and then there is a honing in on the person, and then there is a consideration of the place in the culture that I see in a very positive manner to use the culture itself to bridge between me and the person I'm speaking to. So perspective, person, place. And that just happens to be three things. And, you know, us Christians, whenever we we see that or hear that number three, we think of the Holy Trinity and we think of, you know, the symbolism involved and oftentimes a triangle to re- remind us of our great God, three and one, it's one so and three. Yeah, right, so we're anyway, gonna, so we're going to start yeah, yeah, hanging yeah. things. Well, just hold on. We're going to start hanging things on these mental hooks here in just a second. We're talking with um, Alfonso Espinoza, among other things, the author of Faith That Engages the Culture. He's just introduced to us this engagement triangle. So we're just trying to draw this picture in, in our minds. We got this, we got this triangle 
of um, the Christian perspective and the people who God loves and is seeking to share the gospel with through us, and then the place, the cultural context um, in which we find ourselves. So we're gonna um, we're gonna learn about each one of those a little bit more. But hold that hold that triangle in your mind here um, as you're listening. This is mornings with Carmen. This is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey. Faith Radio is celebrating 75 years of bringing faith to life. That's right. We are 75 this year. So to celebrate, we are giving away 75 Faith Radio birthday boxes packed with all kinds of fun things to help you grow in your walk of faith. And yes, celebrate with us. So we're going to be celebrating the birth and growth and future of Faith Radio all year long. And you are an integral part of the Faith Radio family. And so we want to send you a gift. How fun is that? This is our birthday song. It isn't very long. So to enter to win a Faith Radio birthday box today, come to MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Alfonso Espinoza, we're talking about his book, Faith That Engages the Culture. But more than a book, it's really a handbook. Um, The goal here is to equip us to actually go and talk with other people, like real people in real time, living real lives with the real gospel. You know, um, you and I both know that that's what we're charged to do as Christians in the culture today is to share the gospel. But how do we do that? Well, Alfonso's giving us some mental hooks to uh, to hang some things on. So we've got this engagement triangle in front of us. Alfonso, let's, um, let's unpack these. The Christian Perspective. Yeah, I, the, the Christian perspective, I think, is um, in, incredibly well summarized in First Peter 3.15. Uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. The, the reason I love this one so much, Carmen, is, is because it helps us get past the intimidation factor uh, for many reasons, but one reason is because before we utter a word to another human being, the evangelization process already begins uh, in our hearts between us and Jesus Christ, <laughs> mm. and, and mm. We, we we get to we get to uh, uh, live in our Christian freedom and and know the liberating power of His presence as we relate to people because I'm already hanging with Jesus and I'm honoring Him in my heart. He is holy to me, and when I I contemplate that, that means. That because he's holy to me, his word is holy and, and his will is holy, which means this person standing in front of me is holy. And I kind of imagine a cross on their forehead. You know, this is someone for whom Jesus died and rose and loves and desires to be in the kingdom, or he desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So so this first step is that I wrap this situation of prayer and, and glory to God and honoring him and worshiping him and praising him. And it's like he's like freed me up. He's put me in this position of confidence to go forward. And just to love the person like crazy, just love them like bazonkers, you know. And mm-hmm. as we do that, um, then people realize we don't have an agenda. It's not about some form of perceived manipulation or, you know, a, a notch for that Christian belt. It, it's just about getting to know the person. And as we develop that coming alongside of them and listening you know, good engagement. Uh, yeah, what we say is important. How we say it's important. Body language behind it's important. But listening is most important. Listen. Yeah. And um, the, and and this person, right? Yeah. One of the things I love about that verse of scripture 
and it's in its connection to what you're talking about right now. Um, yeah. I'm not out there trying to answer questions that people are not asking. Like part of this right. is give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that's in you. Like I have to list, I have to know what question they're asking before I can help them understand how Jesus, who is the hope of the Amen. world, answers Amen. the question they are asking. Not even that the question so that necessarily good. he answered for me, but like the, right. how how it is <laughs> that Christ, who is set apart in my heart, um, yeah. how it is that he answers the question they are asking. So that gets us to the That's person. Right. Let, let's talk yes, about that yes. second point on the triangle, Christian perspective, and then yeah. the person. Yeah. These are re- this is a real person. Yeah, it's, it's it's a real person, and and uh, that 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 First Peter three fifteen has launched us into First Corinthians nine twenty two because back in First Peter three fifteen, uh, we we also know that this isn't anything fancy. That 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 testimony, that apologia, is first of all just a, a testifying to the truth of whatever they need to hear according to God's word that Jesus loves them, right? And we do that with gentleness. We're ready as to how we're going to approach this while revering and respecting the Lord Jesus who's there with us. So we go to the person with all of that perspective in place. And uh, for the person now, really zeroing in on the person, wrapping ourselves around the person. Jesus died for me, so I'm going to die to myself so I can love this person in front of me. And uh, die for them in in a way, putting my pride aside, putting my uh, whatever aside. So I can serve them. And in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says his missionary strategy, I become all things to all men that I may save some by all possible means. And the way he elaborates in that in that chapter is phenomenal with four different people groups. But, but the main point is I'm going to get into the shoes of this person in front of me. I want to understand them. I want to know them. And I think at this juncture, I had the opportunity to encourage Christians because sometimes in in our sinful mind, uh, according to the sinful nature, we think, I don't have anything in common with this person. Well, I'm encouraging Christians to crucify that thought because the fact of the matter is we have something in common with everybody, no matter who we encounter, no matter who we speak to. And we want to understand who they are, what they're about, that we may be like them as much as possible in order to uh, have a real life loving conversation with the person. Mm, That is so good. That is so good. All right. And then let's talk about the third point on this um, engagement triangle. Let's talk about place. Indeed. So uh, we slide over to the place to just start looking around. Where are we? You know, this, I've got my perspective. I'm talking to this unique person. Where are we, by the way? You know, and let's let's take note of that because that cultural environment, um, the Lord is a, our, our great God of providence. Uh, he's out there to lead us and guide us according to his will to share the gospel. He's, so he's always going to provide in the context of where we are, the place. And uh, we learn a great deal from St. Paul in Acts chapter 17, when he goes into the Areopagus to talk to the Athenians. You know, at first glance, you know, this former Pharisee of Pharisees, what in the world does he have anything in common with these Athenians, these Greek philosophers and uh, Hedes? Um, but, you know, Paul knows, he, he understands how God is going to use this environment 
So he goes into the environment, and, and when he does, he he states these words, as men of Athens, I perceive that you are you are religious in, in many ways and deeply. And when he makes this observation, he's not insulting them. You know, he he's not saying, you know, you're you're religious, but you're all wrong, a bunch of stupid pagans. But rather, he is he is bringing out the fact that they are sincere truth seekers. Uh, they are sincere about gaining knowledge. They are they are very religious, and in that sense, already he's stating something in the culture and the environment in their culture that he has something in common with. So, because he too is a truth seeker, but not only that, in going into um, that uh, arena, he um, he then looks around to see what can I use here as a bridge in my sharing the gospel with these these wonderful Athenians. And of course, we know the story. He sees there are many altars uh, that represent the reverence towards the um, polytheistic uh, mindset of the Greeks. But, uh, you know, just to be safe, they have one set aside for the unknown God, just in case they missed one. Well, Paul sees that, and he capitalizes on that environmental or cultural uh, golden opportunity. I see you have an altar here to the unknown God. Look about him. And not only that, notice how he launches. He doesn't go right to the gospel, but he starts with creation. He talks about origins. He's being sensitive to something that the Greeks think about. And then uh, finally, my last example, Carmen, as to how Paul's looking at the environment and considering the specific background of the people. Man, this is awesome. He quotes their poets twice, their own poets from their own literature, their own sources, and, and gathering all this stuff from their culture, their environment, their place. God leads him to build a very, very effective bridge for the gospel. Alfonso, this is all so good. And I, I would like to have um, a follow-up conversation where we can actually like demonstrate this and apply this to some specific things uh, happening in the world today and how Christians might walk this out um, in relationship to some, I don't know, particular things, uh, things going on, you know, personally or interpersonally, and then things going on maybe more largely in the cult or more widely in the culture. Could we do that? Could we have a follow-on conversation to this one? Let's, let's do it. I would love to. Okay. Great. That's fantastic. So we're talking with Alfonso Espinoza. Faith that engages the culture is the book. He's going to come back and we're going to um, we're going to apply this a little more fully. And he's going to give us some um, some concrete examples in terms of like what this looks like in real life. We know that Jesus uh, commissions us. He sends us to go and um share the gospel with other people, to share him, to share the love of God that we know in Jesus with others who are longing for love. So evangelism is not an outline. It's not a script. It's not something, you know, it's not five points in a poem that you memorize and deliver. It's not, you know, it's not stages along Romans Road. I'm not saying that that's not the way uh, the gospel can be expressed, but evangelism is not an outline or a script. It's personal. I want you to think about how Jesus encountered people personally along life's way. He listened to them. He had great compassion on them. Evangelism is not about checking a requirement box off the, like, things to do to be a good Christian list. Evangelism is about love. Do we love others the way God loves us? Do we long for them to know the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? 
we love because he is love and we love because he first loved us and we love because his love animates us. We're filled with the spirit of the God who is love. So who do you know who needs to experience the love of God today? Who didn't, who didn't get a Valentine yesterday? Um, they need to see it. They need to hear it. They need to feel it. And you're the one they're sending. Um, you are the one God is sending into their path. So how can you walk the love of Christ out? Um, how can you walk it out into the world that God so loves, but a world that is often experienced as a place of hatred or rage or fear or just plain old apathy? Love is not apathetic. Love is passionate. And the love of God for people is a passionate, compassionate love. So let us go and love as Christ today. We got another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.